You are now listening to the Millennial Travel Podcast with Matt Wilson. What's up, podcast listeners? Are you ready for episode in our new series, The Millennial Travel Podcast, the pod within the pod? And that is celebrating the launch of the new book, my new book, The Millennial Travel Guidebook, Escape More, Spend Less, and Make Travel a Priority in Your Life. I want to thank this community for making us a number one best seller. Yes, in all the categories that we were going after, number one in travel tips, number one in solo travel, number one in budget travel, number one in air travel, number one in Southeast Asia travel, number one in Central America travel. We cracked the top 25 in all of travel, which beat out, well, I was ahead of some books, some classics like Into the Wild and uh, only to beat out by some ridiculous things that also fall into Amazon's travel category, like a blank composition notebook and the map of California, as well as the US Atlas. Yes, the US Atlas is hot right now because people are taking road trips, getting out, social distancing. And uh, I do want to mention that this upcoming episode was recorded Pre-COVID, as you guys know, we had to pause the book launch and the podcast due to the crisis in the travel industry and around the world, but we're back at it. I am editing this myself these days, uh, and there's a lot to learn. Had some technical difficulties, so you'll see that my voice is a little bit lower than our guests, so my apologies up front, but does not take away from all of the fantastic things that our guest has to say. Uh, And thank you again for the support. The Millennial Travel Guidebook, Escape More, Spend Less, and Make Travel a Priority in Your Life. If you want to do those things in the future when it is safe to go out and do so, now is the time to start doing planning because this book is really about re-engineering your life for those things. So you can make 2021 amazing, you can make 2022 amazing, and you can go out and as they, as the cool kids are saying, live your best life. So without further ado, Dave Lee on the Millennial Travel Podcast. All right, cool. Oop, I accidentally just hit record. So here we are. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Hello, everybody, and welcome. I'm your host, Matt Wilson, and today I'm here with Dave Lee, the founder of GoBackpacking.com, a 13-year-old staple blog for backpackers, and he has a new food blog, Feastio.com. Dave is someone who I have had the good fortune of following for quite a long time. Uh, it turns out that we're both members of the ATTA, Adventure Travel and Tourism Association, and uh, I've checked out his uh, blog, or what used to be his blog, it's now been sold, uh, all about Medellin, Colombia, and we finally got the chance to meet and cross paths at an Austin, Texas Travel Founders Meetup event. So, Dave, glad to be here with you. And uh, yeah, it's great to finally meet you in person. Thanks, Matt. It's uh, good to meet you too. And I'm glad we had the chance to uh, spend some time in person together. No, I absolutely will. Uh, hopefully, we 
do more of it. Uh, how long have you been living here in Austin? I moved to Austin in April 2016. So I've been here about three and a half years. It feels like it's gone by in the blink of an eye. Uh, it's amazing how, fi- how fast time goes by uh, it, when I'm living here in the U.S. Um, I, I can imagine. And you moved from Medellin here or where were you living previously? Yes, I was living in Medellin, Colombia, and I used that as a base since 2009. So for about a seven-year period, most of my 30s, I was based in Medellin, Colombia. When I wasn't there, I was traveling, uh, visiting other countries. Okay. Well, Dave, we have uh, already a lot in common because after seven years of using Costa Rica as my home base, I have just moved here to Austin officially full-time. I almost can't even mouth the words uh, because, I mean, I dream about Costa Rica. I'm sure I'll be back, like, I don't know, very, very soon. But uh, I wanted to give Austin and uh, the States a shot, uh, especially, well, for a whole handful of reasons, uh, which we don't have time to get into because this is about (laughs) you here, Dave. But how was that transition for you? Uh, traveling and living in Latin America, which is quite different from Austin. Yes. Uh, are you referring to the transition of um, my first experience living abroad or the no, experience of living here. abroad and coming back? Yeah, yeah. The, the reintegration, uh, if you will. I got to tell you, when I was living in Colombia, I thought it was, I was like, this is paradise. This is, you know, I love this city. I, um, I just like can't, you know, why would I want to go back to the United States? I can't imagine uh, why I would want to leave here. Um, And um, there are a few reasons that ultimately led me back to the U.S. One of them was uh, a desire to feel a sense of personal safety again, which I didn't feel after getting robbed uh, (laughs) a couple of times in Colombia. Okay. so that's part of what spurred me to come back to the U.S. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, I feel like this is what's best for me right now, but it's it's, a real, it's not really what I want. Like, it's almost like every time I leave Colombia, it's like kicking and screaming. It's like there's mm-hmm. some either like my visa's up or um, initially in 2009, I'd run out of money and my visa was up. So I had to uh, go back to the U.S. for a period of about uh, 11 months. Um, and this time around, it was like, well, I, I need a break from, you know, Latin America. Like, I, I am tired of being stressed out, looking over my shoulder, feeling like, you know, I, I'm, a, you know, someone's going to come up and rob me. And uh, so I moved back to the U.S. and I picked Austin thinking this is, you know, the city that uh, where I'm going to, like, feel the most comfortable. I've already got some friends here. It's warm most of the year. Um, it's a lower cost of living than on, you know, the, the Northeast or California. Um, and yeah, it's been kind of a bumpy landing. I can't, I can't say that it's like, been. I mean, there's been highs and lows to it. Um, uh, but, uh, I'm, I'm still, still like, um, I, I feel like Austin's my home now and I refer to it that way. So I think that's progress. Okay. Uh, but but I still travel as much as I can. And it's like Austin's now my base. Um, and I enjoy getting away <laughs> whenever sure. I have the opportunity. Sure. Yeah. I, I don't know how you feel, but 
I really love Austin. I, I have nothing against it, except it's not Costa Rica. It's not, you know, it's just you're comparing apples and oranges. Um, yes. But that is that is what it is. It, now, did you live uh, in this neighborhood in Medellin where a lot of the expats live, El Poblado? Yes, I, I lived on the edge of El Poblado in a neighborhood called Ciudad del Rio, which was kind of like a, I guess a 10 square block development with new apartment buildings. It now has the modern art museum, um, really popular with skateboarders. Um, there's a, a skate park there where I actually uh, ran into David Gonzalez, who is uh, a, um one of the, I guess, the best-known Colombian skater. He's been in L.A. for a long time now. But um, watching him skate, like, it was, like, next level. Like, this is what the pros look like. Yeah. It was pretty good compared to, you know, just, like, the kids in the neighborhood riding riding this bowl. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So I, um, I had a great time living in El Poblado. Most of the best restaurants in this in Medellin are there. There's plenty of nightlife. Um, it's uh, it's more well to do and um, kind of nicer to look at, I guess, than uh, other neighborhoods. Um, some people choose to stay in um, places like Laureles, which is um, also well to do, but it's at the bottom of the valley and it's. Um, not as it doesn't feel as built up. It's not as many high rises um, as El Poblado. Um, and I also had experience living in Envigado, which is a separate city on the southern border of Medellin um, that is also in the valley. Okay, interesting. Well, uh, I have I've been to Cartagena maybe five times or so, but the only time that I was in Medellin. I got really sick. So that oh. was, yeah, I, I, I actually think it was indigenous food that I had eaten in Peru. And then I flew to Medellin and uh, I had one fun night out. And uh, actually, I remember being, I won't go into all the details, but I remember <laughs> being out at a bar and thinking I should really go home. My stomach has never felt like this before. And uh, yeah, it didn't, it didn't end well, unfortunately, but uh, I'll be back. I've, I've met so many people who just absolutely love it there. Yeah, the nightlife is a big part of what I initially enjoyed uh, living there. Um, learning to salsa dance after kind of being a wallflower my entire life. <laughs> Uh, you know, I kind of got into it. I liked the music and I wanted to like assimilate and, you know, be able to enjoy myself at, in the evenings at the, at the clubs. Uh, but once I like started taking lessons, I got really into it for several years. I, I like became real, I really became like, um, passionate about it. And I'd go out dancing a few times a week and, uh, nice. had so had so much fun with it. It was, um, a really great experience for me to like, um, get into an activity that I, you know, I kind of like thought I, you know, was supposed to do or uh, needed to do, but didn't really necessarily think I was going to, you know, become so, so much a fan of. That's interesting. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's really cool to hear that you were able to pick up on something that is uniquely, uh, uniquely Latin at least and helped you be able to assimilate there and make local friends and mm -hmm. you know I guess 
uh, in Costa Rica, for example, now, um, surfing is not uniquely Costa Rican, but if you live near the beach in Costa Rica where everybody surfs, it's an easy way to make friends, you know, and so if you get into it, uh, it's, yeah, that's, that's definitely nice uh, that you can, yeah, you can have something where you, you feel like you fit in, you feel like you're not such an outsider. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's great. So I wanted to ask you, Dave, when you, so you were traveling and then you got to Medellin and you said, all right, I want to figure out a way to stay here. I'm going to start uh, medellinliving.com. Is, is that the um, actual URL? Yes, it's M-E-D-E-L-L-I-N-L-I-V-I-N-G, cool. medellinliving.com. And yeah, like within my first week of arriving there in 2009, I, I knew I wanted to stay for the six months allowed under a tourist visa. And I already had go backpacking going um, for a few years. So I like kind of knew the basic, you know, knew how to blog and uh, I could see an opportunity was there. Like when I went to Google in the hostel, I was on the computer, there was, there was barely any information in English about the city or Colombia. And so I saw an opportunity. I brainstormed a name bought the domain, got, got a WordPress site up. Um, and then I started just kind of approaching it as like a personal blog, um, where I was just like, I don't know if I can make any money from this, but, um, I'm just going to get started and, you know, see, see if anything comes of it. And I just started documenting my experiences as an American living as an expat in Colombia at a time when people were still very scared to go there. Um, and people weren't talking about it as a main, you know, it's like a tourist destination. And a lot's changed in the last 10 years. Now, a days, people don't, I mean, people, some people still respond with drug references and jokes when you say, you, you bring up Colombia, but many more, um, you know, say, oh, you know, I've heard good things or, oh, um, you know, I, I'd like to go there. Um, and so I, it's been really interesting for me to see how that change has happened. I knew it would because once I was there, I saw how beautiful the country was and how friendly the people were. Um, so it was just a matter of, of time. And I kind of saw my blog as a way to start um, contributing to kind of change, you know, changing minds you know, and how people view the country. No, that, <clears throat> that's great. Can you talk a little bit more? about that contribution that you're able to make as a place, uh, as a blogger and, you know, a a place like Medellin, obviously it has a reputation and, um, places need, places need tourists to survive. Uh, you know, sure. There are many, many places that tourists never go that are completely self-sufficient that don't, uh, but when you are able to bring outsiders to spend money, the you know especially in a country like uh, like Colombia, uh, that can really help out the economic situation of the country. So, could you talk about how you feel that you like to make contributions when you're when you arrive in a place? I feel like the biggest way that I could contribute to and give something back to the city that I felt like was giving me a lot by the just the experiences I was having um, is to kind of leverage my experience and my skills as a blogger. And that means um, 
see, recognizing opportunities where there's, you know, a little competition, jumping in and trying to build something authoritative that also um, is responsible in the way um, information is relayed and communicated, um, and transparent as well. Um, that's important to me. Um, so uh, with Main Living, initially began out as a personal blog, and then it, as it, it got a, it quickly sort of like started getting traffic because I was able to kind of promote it through Go Backpacking. I already had you know an audience there, and um, also because there was so little information in English. Um, so the fact you know even when I look back at what I was writing in 2009, it was pretty basic by today's standards. But it was more than there was on any other website. Um, so, um, you know, try, just kind of doing what I do and, uh, in places that I, in, that show can benefit from it. And I felt like Medellin was just too beautiful a city. The people were too cool, the Colombians I was meeting. Um, and uh, I just felt like the city was going to, you know, become popular. It's just a matter of time. And I wanted to be part of that conversation. I wanted to... Um, cause I was aware of the stereotypes, you know, um, and aware of why people are afraid of going there. I wanted to be able to present, you know, the positive side of Medellin and Colombia and, uh, kind of shine a light on that and, um, not worry so much about the politics and, uh, the, you know, the crime and all that. Um, and just kind of focus on what was really cool and amazing and beautiful, uh, being there. And that's, that's what I did. And, uh, you know, people latched on to that in the beginning. Um, some of my friends who are also travel bloggers started coming to the city a year later and then, um, you know, they had good experiences. So they'd write about it. And because bloggers have a, a platform where they can generally, you know, reach a larger audience than your average tourist, I feel like that amplified everything that was happening, you know, um, and, and then from the travel bloggers, it then moved on to journalists and freelance writers were coming. And um, often they would reach out to me for, for to talk or, you know, when they get to town. And then I could um, sort of share my thoughts or suggestions on what, you know, they could check out while they're there. And then that ended up in mainstream media attention. So like National Geographic or Condé Nast uh, or... Um, in different magazines and, and newspapers, uh, New York Times. So then that coverage happens, and then it's like mainstream level media, right? Uh, and then you start getting people that um, might not have considered, you know, Colombia as a vacation destination, or even, you know, bachelor. It's become popular for bachelor parties. Um, I even remember it being in the hotel elevator, and it was like you know, American kids on their spring break, like their college spring break, and they had picked Medellin as the place to go. Uh, that must have been in like 2014 or 2015. Um, so, yeah. Have you it, seen a slowdown? Or or I know that this isn't your – We, I'm sure we, we'll move on past Columbia, but I obviously have an infatuation with the place just because there's so many similarities to, to Costa Rica, a place that I love so much. Um, but have you seen a slowdown in tourism at all? Uh, did it get hot? And then I, I can't help but think there was so much publicity around uh, the vote with the with the FARC not mm -hmm. going through the first time or, or 
maybe it wasn't the first time, but there was a, a big wave of uh, pretty negative publicity and, you know, showing that, hey, Colombia, don't forget, Colombia is still uh, within a, uh, in a civil war here within their mm -hmm. own country. And then Narcos came out and I feel like maybe Colombia isn't as hot right now, but you tell me. No, I, I was just there in January um, visiting friends and, and hanging out. And um, no, it, I, I met with a friend who still works there and has a business there. And he said, no, tourism continues to rise and he doesn't foresee any um, change in that trend. I don't know the specific statistics, but um, that's also kind of anecdotally my, my experience and sure. kind of my impression. Um, no, I, I think tourism continues to kind of go mainstream there. Um, with that said, and this is a concern I had from the beginning, was that as, you know, as tourism rises, so too does the potential for, for theft that affects tourists, right? It makes right. sense. The more tourists are going there, the more opportunity, you know, the thieves or gangs, whoever, you know, see in terms of like, you know, let's rob the rich Americans that are coming here or whatever. Um, and like um, the, the, in Medellin specifically, um, robberies have, have increased uh, in the last three years, especially. Okay. Um, smart, smartphones are um, a popular target. And I actually um, had my phone stolen three times there in, in, in the total amount of time I've spent in the city. Um, so it's a reality. It's hit me. It's, um, it's, it's just part of it. Um, and as a blogger, one of the things I did every time that happened is like try and use my blog as a way to warn people. Here's, here's what happened to me. Here's how you can, you know, lessen the chances it'll happen to you. Um, and you know, it, 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 you can tell people to your blue in the face, but I remember one reader of my, I've warned people before the 2014 World Cup, you know, you know, might be better to leave your phone at home or your camera at home. If you're out in the streets with a lot of people jumping around, a lot of noise and distraction, you know, people are going to be picking pockets. And sure enough, <laughs> I, I met someone who uh, read my blog, said he read the warning specifically and that he was in a crowd jumping up and down and <laughs> his phone was stolen out of his pocket. You know, um, so it, it's, it, it doesn't, it can happen to anyone, to be honest. It just takes a moment of distraction or you're in the moment doing something fun or exciting. And, you know, before you know it, your phone's gone. Um, so that's like when it comes to travel safety advice, my biggest tip for Colombia is don't use your cell phone in, in the streets, in taxis, in Ubers, uh, Basically, try not to use it in public or get like a cheap phone that you specifically use just, you know, when you're out and about so that if someone steals, it's not a big deal. Yeah. And I feel like these people who are making committing these uh, robberies, it's people who are just opportunists because you can't ha you can't get into if it's password protected, somebody's phone, you can't get into it anyway. So I don't know what they do with it. Am I am I missing something here? No, when this when it most recently happened to me last December, like within hours, I was back at my Airbnb and I um 
I was logging on to like the Apple website and like erasing my phone. So when they turned it back, they had turned it off. And when they turned it back on, you know, the signal was sent to erase the phone. And um, I don't know what happened with it after that. But I filed a claim because I had learned the hard way that it's good to be insured in case anything like this happens. So I had theft and loss coverage through Apple Care. And uh, filed a claim that night, didn't need a police report, just wrote everything that happened. And um, when I got back to the U.S., a new phone was waiting for me. Um, so that was a, like that was my first time <laughs> where I got robbed of a phone. And I actually had financial you know, like coverage because I had insurance. And learned the hard way. Not having insurance means you're paying out of pocket for that next phone. Uh, and that can be expensive these days. And what you said is very important uh, because I believe if you are trying to claim this through travel insurance, then you're going to have to have a police report most likely. Of course, this depends on your your travel insurance, but is this, is this correct? And then you can kill three quarters of a day trying to make a police report in Colombia, I can imagine. Well, actually, I... Uh, found out that I didn't need the police report to file my, um, basically when I filed the claim with Apple Care, I still had to pay a deductible, $269 out of pocket. So I paid that, but then I reached out to my travel insurance, which is World Nomads. Mm -hmm. And they said, yeah, that deductible should be covered. And so I submitted a claim to World Nomads and sure enough, they reimbursed me the full amount of the deductible. So wow. my my travel insurance paid for itself. Um, my phone was replaced. Um, so my advice to people these days, now that this happened to me several times, is if if you're if you're um, if someone's trying to rob you or steal something from you, you just hand it over. Get out of the situation without any kind of physical altercation, uh, and just make sure that your data was backed up and that you have some kind of insurance that's going to cover the financial loss. No, and that's, and that's when great you got, advice. When, yeah. That's learned the hard way. That's, uh, <laughs> like, that's why we have people like yourself on the show, because there's no one better to learn from than someone who's actually been robbed. Yeah. I, um, when I was younger, I didn't always feel like travel insurance was worth, you know, spending money on. Like, why would I want to spend this money on insurance for something that may never happen when I could be spending it on like, I don't know, skydiving in New Zealand or some other like, you know, cool activity on my trip. But, um, you know, it'll, it, it's insurance. You may not ever need it, but when you do need it, it's, it's kind of like a nice thing to have on your back pocket. And, uh, it kind of, it, you don't feel quite as burned because you've got some coverage there to, to reimburse you. That's that's great. And uh, one other thing I would throw in there would be if it was a purchase that you had just made and it was on a credit card with purchase insurance, that might be a, another avenue that you can go. Usually, don't quote me on this. Again, you have to look it up. Uh, but you at least have 60 or 90 days, I think, if you you know drop your brand new iPhone in the toilet uh, within the first 60 days. That's a a nice way uh, to be able to get you know reimbursed for that we're talking american express platinum and some of the higher end cards mm -hmm. but i think a lot of people who who listen do have these more expensive travel cards uh, because 
yeah, that that's why people people need insurance. Yeah, when it when it comes down to it. Um, Dave, so I wanted to shift, of course, from Columbia, which I could talk about all day, to a little bit more about go backpacking because you had that up and running before your Medellin blog. Uh, so, yeah, how did you get? We're jumping around in your story, I know, but uh, take us back a little bit farther, if you would. Would happy to. This is actually a story I kind of love to tell. Um, I was a senior in college and, um, my roommates were kind of starting to plan a trip to Europe after graduation. And I, I don't know, the thought had never occurred to me and I, but I didn't want to feel left out. Like these are my best friends, you know, I've known them all four years of college. Like if they're going, I'm going. And I was a little nervous. I'm like, you know, my parents just paid for this. Uh, or took out a loan on this expensive college education. The first thing I want to do is go spend the summer in Europe with my friends. <laughs> mm. Like, where are they going to think? But um, I don't know. I just, I just had a, you know, I was just kind of like excited by the idea, um, and so I kind of let them know this is what I kind of wanted to do, and uh, you know, what, what, what are they going to do? Um, they were, you know. It's okay. My mom was a traveler, um, and, and my dad got his passport when he met my mom, and you know he kind of became a tra- traveler after that. So I knew my mom. Mom understood. But um, at any rate, I spent seven weeks in Europe um, in summer 1998. I was 20, 21 years old. Had never been out of the country on my own. Never been backpacking. Never stayed in a hostel like fresh off the boat like this is um totally new to me um and i had the most amazing time surprisingly my friends wanted to go home early after like the first week or so there was like grumblings and then after about 10 days three of them went home early (laughs) and uh i was like i'm staying like no i'm i'm in this so i uh, we had visited um, Paris and Amsterdam and Prague and Venice together, um, and then we split up in Florence, and I continued on. I actually went back to Venice. They didn't like Venice, and I liked it. So like the first thing I did when they went home is I went back to Venice, and I spent a few more days there. I love that city. Um, then I went to Nice and the French Riviera and uh, spent a few days in uh, London and two weeks in uh, Ireland. And um, I mean, there were times where I was lonely, for sure, like traveling by myself and not, I'm an introvert, so I'm not like the most, you know, outgoing or gregarious person in the hostel. But um, I was just loving every minute of it. Um, And when I came back to the US, I um, started a a GeoCities website and kind of learned how to do some HTML coding. And I I, um, put my whole handwritten journal from the trip onto the web. And the web, the internet was a lot smaller back then. (laughs) Uh, You know, Google really didn't even exist uh, in the way it does today, certainly not social media. You know, so once I had like my journal online, I started submitting it to like directories like Yahoo and other old search engines because I like wanted to, you know, at least, you know, I just spent all that time writing, you know, writing it up. At least let me see if I can get some people reading it. And sure enough, 
a few people did read it. And that kind of gave me the confidence to sort of build a little website around that journal. And um, I bought the domain Go Backpacking in 1999. So it's 20 years old uh, as of this year. And um, yeah, I, I'm not a good, I wasn't a good coder. <laughs> and even though I like tried to, you know, build a little bit um, out of that website um, to encourage other people to go backpacking and to, and to travel abroad, um, it wasn't easy for me to do. It was like a hobby. And so I ended up, you know, not working on it for most of the like mid 2000s. Um, like 2000, after 9-11, I think. I had a trip to Egypt planned for nine, like um, September, I guess, no, October or November 2001. And then after 9-11 happened, I got scared out of going on that trip. The airline canceled the flights to Cairo. So I got a refund on that. And I basically, I wasn't traveling. So I like this, I stopped working on the website. Um, and, um, yeah, so, um, I restarted it in 2007 as I was planning a trip around the world. Um, okay. I can keep going. Yeah, but please, please. <laughs> that's the, that, the beginning of go backpacking was basically my, dis- I just had such an amazing time traveling for the first time to Europe, backpacking, living at the hostels, riding the rails. It was just this liberating experience. I felt so independent and the world just felt like it was opening up to me. And, um, I wanted to share that experience and like, just like encourage people to like get out and go and here's how you can do it, you know, for less money. Um, that, that was kind of the reason I started the the site. And, um, I had no idea I would eventually turn it into like a, a new career in business um, in my 40s now, but um, that that's where we are today. That's awesome. And uh, Dave, so one thing, of course, is creating a blog and getting people to read it. The whole other side of it is actually making money to be able to support your travel habits. So I'd love to know how you found, let's say, your first or let's say, how'd you make your first thousand dollars to be able to buy a nice plane ticket somewhere? Yeah, that's a good question. One I've been asked a lot over the years. Um, I actually made my first money on the internet back in like '99, um, 2000. Amazon had uh, where they were selling, you know, books back then. That was really all they sold: books and CDs. Um, and so I was linking to guidebooks on my site. And so I made a few dollars from Amazon, uh, so Amazon's affiliate program that way. So that was my introduction to affiliate marketing. And there was also a URL company or a company that sold URL passes. And because I used the URL pass on my first backpacking trip, I signed up with them. And um, I was able to actually, because the, the cost of a URL pass is so much higher than the cost of a guidebook, the commissions were higher too. So, mm-hmm. you know, selling, you know, one or two URL passes, you know, that could be a cost of hundreds of dollars. And so the commission, you know, was like $70 or something. So my first money online came in that way. Um, and then I kind of site. I didn't work on the site for five years and I picked it up again in 2000 the end of 2006, early 2007, when I discovered blogging and WordPress. And um, from there, at the time, you could make money selling 
links, text links, and different kinds of you know sponsored content, um, which you can still do today. And um, and display ads weren't as big a deal back then, but Google AdSense um, that was I think around. Um, so there were different ways to make some money, and I started making it in 2007 um, before I left on my trip around the world. And I was keeping records in Google Sheets of how much money I was making each month, and it wasn't much. But I saw as um, I continued on my trip around the world that you know it went eventually from you know a few hundred dollars to five hundred something dollars to you know my first month of a thousand dollars or more. And then I saw that I just need to stick with this, and I can get to the point sooner or later where I'm making enough to support myself. Um, and to help me with that, in addition to like different kinds of advertising on Go Backpacking, I started a membership site called Travel Blog Success, and that was in February 2010. Uh, and it was an online course, um, a message board. Some, I think I started with six recorded audio interviews, um, and with with other bloggers and. and um, and actually a podcaster. I think my first interview was with a podcaster, uh, <laughs> my friend Craig Martin of Indie Travel Podcast. And that was back in 2010. Um, Craig and Linda. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we, we've remained friends ever since. Um, so I um, so I created this site, Travel Blog Success, and I was promoting it to people who love to travel, who wanted to get into blogging as a way to kind of um, – uh, make money doing it, or at least if it, they consider it a hobby, get more people reading their site. Um, and yeah, I, um, had a hundred people sign up in the first year. I think I was selling it for $75 for a lifetime membership Had uh, you know, no experience with e-commerce whatsoever. I was just kind of learning as I went. And, um, I, it really makes me happy that some of those people that signed up for the first time, uh, or the first year are still blogging today. They made careers out of it, businesses out of it. Um, and I just think that's a testament to um, what you can do as a blogger. Um, and it's not easy. <laughs> it takes a lot of creativity and hard work and time in front of your computer. But um, if you want to, kind of, for me, it's also been part about, It's it's been about making travel the, Traveling, uh, like kind of like a lifestyle, uh, the lifestyle of travel. How do I um, find a way to, you know, create something of value, make a living, and continue to travel as much as possible? And I found that through through blogging. That's that's great. Uh, if somebody is listening right now and saying, "Wow, I really want to make." my living through travel, or I'd like to at least be able to start something on the side that maybe supplements, uh, I guess I'll call it the habit, like I referred to it before. Um, you know, would you just tell them, hey, go start a blog? What advice would you would you give someone? Um, good question. Things have changed a lot in the <laughs> 10 to 20 years that yeah, I've been it's not so easy are, are online. No, there's so much more competition. I mean, I knew all along when I was creating this, you know, membership site that I was creating my future competitors. <laughs> but really? it's like, it, I've always felt like travel blogging and the, the community has been at least the core community, the people that I've kind of 
known all along are very supportive and want to help one another. Um, so these days there's so much information available online for free. Uh, one of the things I've always liked about blogging is that you can do most, you can get everything you need pretty much for free. The domain might be like seven to $10 a year. I recommend some web hosting, which, you know, you can get cheaply as well. Let's say $60 a year. Um, so for under hundred dollars a year, you can have a website that's got its own, you know, hosting account where it's stored on the web and, um, you can start writing and producing content that you think the world needs. For me, that was, um, encouraging people to go backpacking as a way to travel when you're young. Uh, it was promoting Medellin, Colombia as a place to, to go, um, that wasn't yet popular. And through Travel Blog Success, showing people how they could build um, a business out of their travel blog and uh, take it to the next level and, um, uh, yeah, enable the kind of life they want to live. Cool, cool. And, and what, what told you that you could live the type of life that you wanted to live? Because I'm sure you had doubts. You already said you had doubts by even going on that very first trip you could have said nah you know what i gotta get a job and uh show my parents that this expensive college education was worth it you could have gone in a totally different direction and and none of this could have ever would have ever came to be so what what encouraged you to go out and and just do it if you will well um not traveling and eventually <laughs> eventually getting laid off from um, a dot-com job when I was 25 um, and feeling kind of powerless you know everyone from the founder of the company on down to the you know the customer service reps were were let go in like two days it was um, I, I had four months of unemployment where I you know was kind of just bouncing around the apartment and, like playing video games and feeling totally bored um, feeling like I had to get another customer service job because that was where my experience was, but knowing that wasn't really what I was passionate about. Um, so that's when I came up with this idea that my next job was going to be a way to save up money so I could either um, quit it and travel for a year, or if I got laid off again, I would have money in the bank and no debt, and I would be in a position to travel for a year. Either way, <laughs> you know, the result was going to be I was going to travel for a year, and that was my dream. And I kind of wrote it down on a piece of paper. I like uh, I taped it up against my bathroom mirror, and I like spent the next five and a half years like saving money, paying off my credit card debt keeping my expenses low, living in a small studio apartment, um, and, you know, putting in work at my new company to, you know, get raises and the promotion. Um, and then when I hit my savings goal, which I think was about $35,000, I, you know, resigned. And it happened to be like a month or two before the economic collapse. <laughs> and, uh, I was literally living like my dream halfway around the world in New Zealand and Australia while back in the U.S., like, you know, the economy was collapsing. And I, um, I, I still don't fully, like, appreciate what was going on back here because I was just like, you know, I was just living my dream. I was so happy, like, uh, yeah, 
it was it's interesting to think back on, on that good for you dave that's that's awesome to to hear that story and uh now you're you're getting more into uh food blogging or getting more into probably isn't a good way to the best way to put it uh, you have a you are a food blogger at this point uh with feastio.com so yeah what's going on uh w- with this project it, it sounds like you're transitioning a little bit from backpacker life yeah i mean i definitely put in my time you know with the backpack and i still really believe in the minimalism um approach to traveling and traveling with less and you know not taking up a big footprint in this world you know lots of material possessions and that kind of stuff Uh, i still much rather spend my money on experiences um and nowadays food uh, so I think as part of kind of my evolution, I've always appreciated being able to try foods in the cultures and countries where they were initially developed. Um, and uh, so travels allowed me to have a lot of those experiences. And while I've written about a little bit here and there, um, I decided that it's something I want to focus on more. And I felt like I needed to start a separate blog just for that. And Unlike Go Backpacking, which is bound by more of a budget budget travel ethos, um, Fistio is um, focused on finding the best food in the world, and that could be, you know, street food, um, or it could be like fine dining experiences and cocktail bars, um, which I recently kind of enjoyed in Sweden and Copenhagen. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm I'm excited about it because I feel like it's. Um, as I'm continuing to work on go backpacking because I believe in um, that message of getting uh, people, especially young people, out and traveling. Um, Fisio for me is also a reflection of where I am today um, and what I like to spend my money on, which is in addition to traveling, it's, it's food. <laughs> That's awesome. And you're in a good place for that here in Austin. Uh, do you have any healthy recommendations for me i know this isn't the focus of your (laughs) blog here but i I do have to preface that where i will be much more motivated to go if it is healthy food my my fiance will be much more uh, motivated to come with me as well well usually i'm asked about the best tacos and barbecue or that's what i volunteer um, I think those are the two food groups <laughs> that Austin is known for. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> However, um, I also, in talking to vegetarians um, here, you know, and people have definitely have a high, um, th- there's definitely a lot of options if you're trying to eat healthy, if you're vegetarian or vegan. I don't have a lot of experience in that department. I tend to prioritize the, the barbecue over the vegan, but um I know that there are there are plenty of places here to keep um, people eating healthy that that have those kinds of diets. Have you been to True Food Kitchen yet? I do actually. My Airbnb host when I first came to Austin, she took me there, and I'm a fan. I like it. Okay, good. Yeah, good. I'm 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 glad to hear that's uh, that's one of my staples in in Austin and. Of course, I eat just about as much as many breakfast tacos uh, as anybody, but I, I try to go to Taco Deli, uh, which, you know, all their, their meat and everything is, uh, 
you know, is not injected with hormones and antibiotics and all that, that's a good, a good recommendation. One more for you, if you ever get a chance, uh, People's Pharmacy, they have a really good deli. Uh, check out People's Pharmacy, at least the one on South Lamar, has really good breakfast tacos, but it's all organic eggs, uh, no nitrates or any of that, and they're bacon, so there's really good fresh food options in, in Austin, as you already know, but those would be a <laughs> I, um, I I want to just um, share that one of the things I've learned to appreciate coming back to the U.S. after living in Latin America for so long is the um, attention to detail when it comes to food and mm -hmm. what restaurants are offering. And God, I just read a blog post about the best cafes in Austin and it was hard to come up. I mean, it was hard to just whittle it down to 20. There were so many amazing um, um, local coffee companies here in Austin, as well as restaurants and food trucks. And the, the, like, the degree to which they're catering to people with uh, different um, dietary needs, it just kind of blows my mind. And my Spanish, well, I consider myself, you know, intermediate, like conversationally fluent. I, I'm my ability to like, um, you know, navigate Latin America to the degree that I can kind of get around in my own country and in English. And they were never like on par together. Um, and even so, I think Latin America is trailing far, far behind in terms of the U.S. and um, in terms of like food quality and food sourcing and knowing where your food is coming from and that it's, you know, um, you know, that I there agree. are options. It, it took me so long to figure it out in Costa Rica. And um, I mean, it was for me to go at first, our, our local farmer's market didn't have very many organic options. And, you know, we had to drive an hour to, to the local organic farmer's market. And um, yeah, I, I hear you there. Uh, I definitely hear you catching on though, I, I will say, as I, as I visit more places and there's at least a few healthy outcroppings in every city, it, it seems like, but also, Costa Rica is uh, specifically known for having lots of organic farms and people, people go there for that reason and, and you know, with mm -hmm. uh, interest in, in ecotourism. But um, Dave, I, I have your 20 best coffee shops in Austin pulled up on my screen <laughs> and I send it to my whole team. So we have work from wherever Wednesdays. And so we try to get out and explore when we can. So we'll be checking some off your list here. Nice. Uh, I feel, you know, I'd be, I'd love to join you for one of those working Wednesdays uh, since I work from home as well. Absolutely. No, you're, you're more than welcome. Uh, yeah. We'll have to, we'll have to hang out here in Austin would be, would be great. Or if you're going to be a regular at uh, some of these uh, travel tech, I think it was travel tech founder meetup, I guess. I think that was the name of the event where we met. Uh, but yeah, we'll, I'm sure we'll cross paths uh, plenty here, Dave. Cool. Well, I um, I'm glad that you uh, I'm glad that uh, you want to chat, uh, and I uh, appreciate having the time to share some of my story. No, you, you're welcome. And Dave, I can't let you go without <laughs> going and doing a lightning round. I did not prepare you for this, but 
I would like to ask you just a few questions and if you have any suggestions uh, or if you have any recommendations for people but I would like you to say the first thing that comes to mind. This is this might be very challenging. No, it's going to be easy. You're going to do you're going to do great. Uh, they're they're softballs. I'm going to throw to you. Are you ready? Okay. All right. I'm ready. Uh, first thing that I would love for you to tell people is what your favorite country in the world to visit is. I am going to go with Nepal. Uh, that's a tough question. Uh, yeah, it is but, a tough um, question. Uh, there's an acronym, well, for Nepal, never-ending peace and love. Uh, I learned that when I was trekking in, in the Annapurna region. And I just fell in love with the country. Uh, it's just stunning. Um, it's, it's just amazing to be around the world's tallest mountains. People were nice. Um and there's so much to see and do in Nepal. It's also one of the world's poorest countries, so it could use our tourism dollars. Uh, I, yeah, I just love that country. That's, that's awesome. Dave, how about your favorite restaurant in the entire world? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is tough. I am going to say... Um, Central in Lima, Peru, which is a, a fine dining restaurant. I went there. I, I've spent about seven months in Lima. It's one. It's a. I haven't spent as much time there as I have in Colombia, but uh, I like Lima as a base for exploring uh, South America. Um, while I was spending time there, I went to Central. I think in 2014, I did their tasting menu. It was. Expensive for me, it was a little over $100 US. Uh, it's probably a little bit more expensive now. But it was like a, it, it's one of the best meals I've ever had. It was like, I would say, 10 or 12 courses. And the menu was based on ingredients from different uh, elevations in Peru. So in Peru, you've got the Andes. Um, you've got the Amazon in the north and the south. You've got desert along the coast. Uh, it's just a very diverse uh country in terms of geography and the chef there um had created this whole whole menu based on ingredients he sourced from all over the country i thought that was just really fantastic that's really cool uh not a lot of people put lima on the top of their list for places to spend extended periods of time but if you like to eat Man, this the food is so good, Peruvian food, and and as you said, being able to source it from all the different regions. Uh, you, you probably know the big food fest that goes on. I think it's in the month of June down there. Are you familiar with it? I, I happen to go. I don't. I'm not, I'm not familiar. Um, June. Yeah, I, it's pretty incredible. I don't think I've ever been there in June, uh, actually. Uh, that's kind of the beginning of winter down there, which is just a little bit cooler. Um, mm -hmm. but, um, no, I'm not familiar with it. Mistura, it's called. If you ever get the chance, check out Mistura. It, I happen to be there. Uh, we, we run a lot of trips in that time of year. It's a really good uh, time to visit Peru you know, when it starts to be dry season up in the Andes. Uh, but yeah, I happen to stumble upon this amazing food festival. And, and just what you're saying, the different, there's so many different regions 
of Peru all with their separate delicacies. And uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty incredible. Okay. For, I forgot this was a lightning round. Uh, <laughs> what is one book that could inspire our audience to go out and travel? Oh, wow. I, I knew you were going to ask me a book question. And for as many books as I read, I knew I was going to like draw a blank. It, it, could be uh. book. It, could be, it could be one of your guidebooks from back in the day, uh, whatever book recommendation you would like to give. Um, you know, I, um, I am going to go with a, a book by a friend of mine, um, Mark Manson, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Um, I met Mark when I was living in Colombia, um, and he spent some time in Medellin as well. And uh, I, what I like about the book and his attitude and his use of curse words <laughs> is, to, is that, like, you know, it, it, it's it's about choosing your values wisely and and then not worrying about what anyone else says about that. And for me, that's kind of what I did when I was 25, and I decided I'm going to spend uh, my energy trying to save money for, for more travel and experiences abroad. Uh, that's what I value the most more so than, you know, a bigger apartment or a nicer car. Um, and that decision, uh, which I, I don't know, I didn't read a book to come up with that decision. I just sort of like was, you know, bored at home and <laughs> I don't know, know exactly how it came to me, but, um, it changed the course of my life and I feel like it's made my life so much richer as a result. Um, so I'm a big proponent of taking time and maybe it's every five years or maybe it's every 10 years, but sitting down and thinking about what it is you value and seeing how you can uh, make sure you're course correcting so that you're, you're always kind of living with your values in mind. Um, I think that's a really useful exercise, and I think that's you know what Mark is talking about in the book. That's awesome. And Dave, last question. Speaking of minimalism, <clears throat> I know you don't, uh, you're not a proponent of having a lot of things, but what is one thing that you cannot travel without? When, I mean, um, these days it's my uh, my cell phone. Um, I even though I have, don't feel like I have a lot of material possessions, like what I do spend money on, I, um, I'm willing to spend more. So, you know, having, you know, an iPhone that has, you know, the newest camera because that's, I stopped carrying a regular camera around. Like I don't have, I don't carry my Canon point and shoot anymore. I just use my phone. Um, but to me, that's like one less thing I'm carrying around. So I'd rather have a nicer phone and not be carrying an extra camera. Um, that that would be the biggest thing. Which, uh, important part of <clears throat> which which, uh, which iPhone model do you have to take the best pictures? I have well, this is the newest one. Uh, it's the iPhone 11 Pro Max. Nice uh, with the funny looking camera. Um, yeah, it's it takes. They've gotten better both Apple and Google when it comes to low light photography, and. Um, yeah, it's it's amazing. So I just joined the Apple Upgrade program, and for the rest of my life, I'll just I'll just pay sixty five dollars a month 
so I can always upgrade to the newest phone. Wow. Okay. I, I had not heard <laughs> of that. Uh, that's great. Yeah. Well, Dave, I'm not sure. I think our sound quality, just something just happened. So uh, I want to wrap things up here if we can, but uh, <clears throat> we've already talked about where people can uh, mainly find your web, you know, your, your websites, uh, of course, go backpacking, com and feastio.com but where can people reach out to you on social media if they want to stay in touch or, or get in touch directly i'd suggest instagram um that's the one i use the most and my personal instagram is r t w dave and my um my food for my food blog it's feastio f-e-a-s-t-i-o underscore awesome well dave yeah thanks so much again and uh, hope to see you here in town Thank you. Thanks for having me. Millennial Travel Podcast listeners, did you enjoy that episode? If so, I would be so appreciative if you went to millennialtravelguidebook.com because direct support for this podcast is from my book, The Millennial Travel Podcast, Escape More, Spend Less, and Make Travel a Priority in Your Life. If this episode has you fired up to travel, when the coast is clear, when things are safe, when you feel comfortable, when people will allow foreigners in their countries, now is the time to start planning that. I'm not saying you have to book your trip today, but this book is about setting up your life to travel. And I know that you will get great value out of it, especially it is at a rock bottom price right now. So millennialtravelguidebook.com, of course, available, Amazon, Kindle, Audible, all that good stuff. Thank you so much.